Well, this summer, I was at my parents' house in Michigan, and water started bubbling up in strange places and in strange ways. All of a sudden, we would see water start to bubble up out of the toilet, or water would start to bubble up out of the bathtub. What in the world? Water's supposed to go down, not come up. And then we started to notice out where my parents have their septic tank buried in the field, the water was starting to kind of form on top on the grass. It was starting to look a little marshy out there. Not a good sign. And then we started doing laundry. And when you would run the washing machine, instead of that oh-so-clean, fresh smell that you would expect, uh, it started smelling a little bit like sewage. Yes, there was a sewage leak. It is so gross. I mean, you start thinking about sewage leaking out and you just can't get that image out of your mind. You're like, how do we get this out of here? Are we all in danger? Are we all gonna die? Sewage is the grossest thing ever. Well, they had their septic tank pumped. They called someone and someone pumped their septic tank for them and they thought, well, this will fix the problem. But no, it didn't fix the problem. There were still bubbles coming out of the toilet and bubbles coming out of the bathtub. So then one of their friends told them that they had found the fix, the cure on YouTube. Has anyone ever tried to fix a problem with your house from YouTube? So the, the problem was if they would send someone up on top of the roof and pour hot water down their, um, their filter, that would clean out their filter and everything would be fine. So we called a plumber who was willing to get on the roof, got up on the roof, did the whole thing, still didn't work. Bubbling toilets, bubbling water out of the bathtub. So by this point, there was just the last and final and most expensive option. They had to get their whole septic tank replaced. Ugh, what a thing to have to get through that. Well, let me just tell you that those um, engineers that came out, those sanitation engineers that come out, they are amazing human beings to be able to get in there with all that waste and deal with all that sewage and pull out something that is broken and gross and rusting and rotting and replace it with something new. Well, you know, the Bible talks a lot about a problem for us humans that's even messier than all that sewage. Sin. Sin is one of those words in the Bible that is kind of a big and harsh word that nobody likes to talk about. But we're going to talk just a little bit about it today. See, sin means rebelling against God and God's ways. That's what it's all about. It's about rebellion. It's about saying, I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm going to do it my way. Romans 8, 7 through 8 says this. The mind governed by the flesh or ourselves is hostile in opposition to God. It does not submit to God's laws. It doesn't follow God's laws, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, our own self, cannot please God. So that kind of describes this rebellion, this sense that is out there that we want to rebel against God. Now, the problem is that most of us, okay, a lot of us, have a little bit of rebellion in us, or maybe a lot of rebellion in us. I mean, someone asked me if to give me three words to describe myself, three words, I would say, I am a rebel, right? I mean, we just want to rebel no matter what it is that people tell us that we should be doing. 
Well, sometimes rebellion is a good thing. It can be helpful when we are trying to do something to right a wrong in this world. I mean, this weekend is Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and, and Dr. King was someone who worked so hard to, to right injustice and right wrongs. Dr. King said this. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So this kind of rebellion is a good rebellion. This kind of using rebellion to fight an unjust system, that is a good thing. That is a, a thing that we want to stand for. But the kind of rebellion that sin talks about in the Bible is a rebellion against God. And this is something completely different because this kind of rebellion is talking about how we can satisfy ourselves rather than what God has for us. It's self-serving to ourselves. You see, and when we fall into this, then our sin is like stinky sewage. Oh, it's like that big mess that I just told you about. The Bible actually calls that kind of rebellion a, a stinky mess. Proverbs 13.5 says this, the righteous, those who are in right relationship with God, hate what is false. But the wicked, those who give in to their sin, make themselves a stench and bring shame on themselves. I mean, no one really likes the word sin, right? We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. And honestly, the word sin is not very politically correct these days, right? I mean, nobody wants to talk about it. So I came up with a definition that might be a little bit more politically correct to talk about sin. Tell me what you think about this one. Okay, politically correct definition of sin. An act that is ethically disoriented and behaviorally challenged due to motivation deficiency and character deprivation in need of life coaching, right? Maybe that's a definition of sin that people would be able to swallow a little bit more. Basically, sin means to miss the mark. It means that you're not right on the target that you need to be on. Um, anything that we do that is against God's will kind of misses his mark for our lives. Now, this past fall, our family went up to Glen Oak to go apple picking. We do that every year, and we go to some of the different orchards. And this year, one of the orchards had something different that we had never seen before. They had axe throwing. I know. Now, I'm a mother of four, so, you know, keeping the safety of my children in mind, I, you know, try and keep them alive and not usually throw sharp objects randomly, but I was pretty excited and I was like, let's go, let's do this. So I thought you might want a peek of what this looked like for me. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun, you guys. Now, I never completely hit the bullseye. I was always off the mark, but it was so much fun to give that a go. Well, here's what's the thing with sin. Sin is a lot of fun. Sin can even be funny. It can be funny to participate, fun to participate it. And while it is fun for a little while, because we're indulging our own desires, our own wants and needs, 
we get to call the shots. We get to do what we like when we like it. And that's why it can be fun to participate in sin. Here's the problem though. We think it's all under control. We think we've got it in control. Just like that septic system had that sewage under control until it doesn't. Until something starts breaking in our selfishness and it starts impacting and affecting our relationships, our marriages, our parenting, our friendships, our coworkers, even our own self to be so self-servicing. We, we start to have some, some brokenness and cracks there because God created us to be in relationship, healthy relationships with himself and with other people. You know, sometimes I have a tendency just to give in and eat and drink whatever it is that I want to eat and drink. And when I don't keep that in check, when I am not disciplined and self-controlled in that area, well, then I start to gain weight and my body is out of control and I don't feel good. That's an area that can be a hard struggle for me. And it's so easy to justify. It can be like, Let's have a celebration. I'm good for a celebration any day. It's Groundhog's Day. Let's celebrate. Hey, it's Tuesday. We made it through Monday. Let's celebrate. There's so many things that we can celebrate. It's treat yourself. All right, come on now. Who's my Parks and Recs fan out there? You remember? Treat yourself. It was the day that Donna and Tom had set up one day a year where they kind of went crazy with self-indulgence. Treat yourself. And it's easy for us to take treat yourself and take it to the whole next level and do that anytime that we want. We give in to all kinds of different areas of weakness to soothe or placate our places of pain or our hardships in life. And this becomes the problem that God wants to address. This becomes something that breaks God's heart and he wants to step in and intervene because he loves us, because he knows that sin is something that ultimately is going to become a problem in our relationships. And it's gonna separate us from God himself, who is a holy being. And so one man came to make a difference. And his name, his name, friends, is Jesus. And as we dive into this series, Pastor Glenn did such a great job of introducing it last week, seeing Jesus through the eyes of Luke. And as we dive into the ministry beginning of Jesus this week, we are going to see that right out of the blocks, Jesus was committed to making sure that Satan would not win out with sin in the life of Jesus. You see, Luke had just come out of those first few chapters telling us that Jesus was born of Mary, making him fully man, but he was also the son of God. Mary became pregnant under the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus was baptized and the dove came down and God's voice said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so we know that Jesus was fully human from Mary's side and fully divine from God's side. So he was fully human to feel and experience and be tempted just as we are. But because he is fully God, Jesus never sinned. So what can we learn from Jesus in how he was tempted, but how he, he had a strategy, he had a, something in place to counter the attacks of Satan when he was tempted? Now, Luke wants to help us understand how Jesus reacted when he was tempted. Jesus knew what it felt like to be tempted to sin. He understands when we feel that. Now, he handled temptation a little bit differently than maybe some of us do. So let's look at what he did. Now, before Jesus began his public ministry, his teaching and healing ministry, he spent 40 days filled with the Holy Spirit 
and empty of human food, filled with a spirit empty of food. He went on a little camping trip out in the Judean desert, and he went on a fast for 40 days to really fill himself only with the things of the spirit, to pray and spend time with God before his um, launch into ministry. Luke 4, 1 through 2 tells us this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was very hungry. And this is where Satan jumps in and he begins to tempt, to tempt Jesus. Now, he says, um, he, he tells Jesus that he should take some of the stones in front of them and turn them into bread. He is hungry. He is someone that he really wanted to have food at the end of this fast. And Satan says, hey, if you're so powerful, just go ahead. You just go ahead and do it, Jesus. You turn those stones into bread, right down on a nice hot piece of bread. It'll be so satisfying. Now, Jesus could have done that. And, you know, honestly, no one would have known. He was out there by himself. He could have had a treat yourself day and nobody would have known it. But he practiced self-control. He practiced self-restraint. And instead of doing that, he held on to God's word for strength. And he said this to Satan, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. He quoted scripture to Satan. I mean, Jesus would become the bread of life for all of us. He would be the one to nourish us when we were not in physical hunger, but in spiritual hunger. Do you remember our politically correct definition that we had up there? He would become that life coach, an act that is ethically disoriented and behaviorally challenged due to motivation deficiency and character deprivation in need of life coaching. Jesus was there to become that life coach. And then after that, Satan led him up into the Judean hills. Oh, there's all of these hills all through Israel. If you ever go on a Holy Land trip, I would love to show these to you. My husband and I love to do these trips. And in Judea, there's these huge rock area hills. There's actually even one. This one is called the Mount of Temptation, where they think that Jesus was tempted by Satan. And there's a monastery that is built up there with um, some monks that live there. It's incredible. It's huge. In these huge rock cliffs. And Satan took Jesus up into this similar area, if not this exact area, an area similar to this, where you could look out over so much of the valley and see cities and, and see, you know, hills and mountains. And he offered Jesus authority over the powers and the, the kingdoms of this world. He says, all authority has been given to me and I will give this to you, Jesus. I will give you authority. I will give you kingdoms over the whole world. I mean, that's pretty tempting to have power and authority over kingdoms. But Jesus looked at Satan and instead he said in Luke 4, 8, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I will not worship other gods. I will not take that under myself. And so he used scripture once again to combat what Satan had said. Now, he, Satan was going to tempt him a third time. And so he took Jesus into the heart of Jerusalem, to the temple. This is the gathering place of all the Jews, huge temple. And it says that he took him up to the highest point. Now, I have a picture here of the Western Wall. This is the Wailing Wall that still stands in Jerusalem. So the Eastern Wall would have been a column on the other side. 
and this would have been a hundred foot drop from the top of the colonnade into the Kidron Valley. And Satan said, jump. If God thinks you're so special, go ahead and jump. And let's just see if he's going to protect you from, from dying. I mean, you know, when Satan was tempting him, Jesus must have looked at Satan and been like, you know what? I'm so sick of you. Let's just end this after 40 days. I can jump down and squash your neck and just end this here. But instead, he said, not today, Satan, not today. And he answered again with scripture. And this is what he said in Luke 4, 12. Jesus says, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, you know, Jesus just quoted scripture and mic drop. He was out of there. He didn't let Satan taunt him or egg him on. He practiced self-restraint and he said, no, I don't take orders from anyone except from God. I'm not going to force God's hand. I am listening to my father. I am one with my father and we are on mission here together. That is how this is going to work. I am not going to get distracted by you, Satan. See, Jesus teaches us this approach to, for us to have an example of what to do when we are tempted. You see, when tempted by the enemy, when Satan comes knocking at our door, we should use scripture to say, not today, Satan. That is powerful. That is what Jesus wanted to use. That is a big deal to be able to shut Satan up, to shut down those temptations. And Jesus used the authority of scripture to do that, which is why it's so important for us to, to love scripture, to know it, to hold on to it and believe that there is power in it. This is so big. This is so huge. Now, I want to let you know for all the ladies out there in the house that we are just getting ready to start a brand new women's Bible study. And I want to invite you to participate with us. Our study is called a Big Mouth bigger God. So it's for all the big mouths out there who could use a little scripture, a little bit of God strategies to help us encountering some of these challenges, lies, complaints, criticism, arguments, comparison, gossip, all of those things. So there's a little QR code on there. So you can just grab your phone right now and put it up to that QR code and that'll open the link so that you can get registered. Or you can always go to purposechurch.com slash women, and you can also get registered. So that's going to start this week, um, the Bible study and life groups together. And we have two options. You can either go online with us Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, or you can meet in person on campus Thursdays at 930. So there's also lots of opportunities for you men, and we've got rooted life groups starting. So go ahead and check out all of our groups, and there's definitely a place for you to get connected so that you can learn those scriptures and know how to practice them in your life against those temptations. Okay, well, Satan is out of there. Jesus wins this epic showdown with um, Satan. And he, Satan just goes off, brooding, waiting, biding his time for the next opportunity that he has to try and take down Jesus. And Jesus begins his public ministry, showing us that even in the weakness of flesh, when he was hungry after a 40-day fast, he was famished, he was exhausted, he was weakened. Even in the weakness of flesh, he will always lead with the strength of the spirit. Even in some of his weakest moments, Jesus shows us that he was still all 
always strong in the spirit. And that is why he can be our strength when we are feeling weak. That is the good news of being a follower of Jesus. He gives us that strength whenever we are feeling weak. That is a a reason and a half to follow Jesus. Now, it's also good news for what lies ahead. We need to know that Jesus has this in him. Now, Jesus in Luke 4.14 says he returned to Galilee. Where again now? In the power. He was in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. So Jesus comes out of this fast and he's ready. He launches his ministry. He begins teaching and healing and interacting with people and meeting people. And news of him spreads throughout the whole countryside like wildfire. People are like, who is this guy? Have you seen what he says and what he does? And Jesus, he casts this vision for his ministry. He says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Lord is for you. That is the message that Jesus came to share. He has come to work with the poor and the oppressed and those who feel like no one sees them. Jesus says, I see you. The Lord is for you. Now, Jesus would go into towns and he would heal and he would teach and he would interact with crowds and the crowds were getting larger and larger. And so Jesus started telling people, don't tell anyone what you saw. Don't tell anyone that you saw these healings because it was getting hard to kind of control things. Let's be honest here. Everybody's very good at keeping secrets, right? I mean, if Jesus told you don't say anything, would you not say anything? I mean, secrets, it's pretty easy to keep a secret. It's all the people that we tell that can't seem to keep their mouths shut, right? (laughs) How about this? Um, Your secret is safe with me and all of my friends, relatives, and anyone I talk to today, right? Secret keeping is hard. And as Jesus told people not to tell anyone, the good news could not help but go out. People were so excited about what they were seeing and who Jesus was. Well, and that's how it went. People could not keep the good news of Jesus' secret. And in Luke chapter 5, 17, Luke starts to talk about uh, an incident where Jesus was teaching at a packed out house. People had gathered from all around to hear from Jesus and see Jesus and learn from Jesus and maybe kind of like evaluate, like, who is this that I keep hearing about? Is he legit? Is he for real? Well, the scripture says that Pharisees and teachers of the law, these were kind of like the big wigs of the the Jewish culture and society, even they showed up. And scripture says that they came from every village, from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Let me show you this map. This is a map of Israel back in Jesus' time. You'll see Galilee is the northern region. Judea and Jerusalem is kind of more mid to southern regions. And it says that people from all over those regions had gathered at this house. People had come from all over to hear and see Jesus. And suddenly, as Jesus was talking in the midst of this crowd, he was teaching, he was interrupted from a very unexpected place. They started to look up to the roof. Let's watch this. And if it were nighttime, Zebedee, wouldn't light his lamp and put it under a basket. He put it on the stand where he could light us all. Jesus of Nazareth! 
I saw what you did to the leopard on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leopard. That's a rope! Put it back, man! You are willing, Rabbi. I know you can do this. your tablet at least. Harry! Is he in danger? I don't know. No, I don't think so. He's got whom in there? Yes. Can you believe we're really here for this? Yes. authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can't. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right. But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you, and so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed and go home.
Isn't Jesus just the best? Well, man, it's a great question that Jesus asks. Which is easier, to forgive sins or to heal someone? We started out today talking about the stinky sewer in my parents' yard and how eventually it ended up seeping outside of the septic tank. It couldn't be contained. My parents even hired someone to get on the roof and and try and fix the sewer from the roof. It didn't work. But in this story, in this account from scripture, a group of friends from Luke 5 decided to get on the roof. They were going to get their friend to Jesus. I mean, can we just acknowledge the incredible commitment of this group of friends? I mean, they bring him hoping to see Jesus and they show up with a crowded arena. I mean, there was people everywhere. You couldn't probably move. There were so many people. It was hard to get through. And they could have very easily just given up and been like, dude, I'm sorry, we tried, but look at these crowds. We can't get through here. There's even important people here. There's no way Jesus is going to see us. They could have given up on their friend, but they persisted. They were not going to give up on him. There's always one knucklehead in the group of friends, right? That starts to like try and think outside of the box. And he must've been like, let's go up on the roof and we'll lower them down to Jesus. And all the friends were like, yeah, let's do it. They were ready and committed to getting their friend to Jesus. Oh, it just, it's amazing to see how they are willing to turn their world upside down, to do whatever it took to get this guy to Jesus. And it really convicts me, doesn't it you? Like, are we willing to do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus? I mean, they didn't even have the kinds of incredible resources that we have today to get our friends to Jesus. They just looked around and tried to figure out what it is they had and they saw a roof and they're like, this'll get this guy to Jesus, let's do it. These guys were fierce. They were fierce. They would not accept a, a closed door. Can you imagine if they just said, oh, it's, it must not be God's timing. Not today. We're just not going to do it. They would not accept that. They saw a closed door and they looked for an open roof. That's what we've got to do. If we see a closed door, we've got to ask, Lord, is there an open roof? See, we need fierce friends, people. We need fierce friends around us and we need to learn how to be fierce faithful friends in this world, to have that circle around us. What do we have to do to get our friends in front of Jesus? Maybe this is their best time to invite them to come to a Bible study, come to a life group, be part of a group, because we are better together. We are better together in front of Jesus that way. Well, here's this man. He's dangling in front of Jesus, just waiting, hoping, you know, ready to get healed. I mean, this is why they came. And Jesus first starts talking about sin. I mean, it must have been a little bit confusing. I mean, the presenting illness, the the chronic issue was that his legs didn't work. He couldn't walk. And he was there because he wanted to be healed. That's why they came. Heal him, Jesus. Heal him. And Jesus starts talking about sin. Well, okay, so here's the thing. Back in the ancient world, people used to think that if you had any kind of physical ailment or illness, that it was likely a sin issue. That your sin was oozing out 
like that septic tank oozing out in my parents' field. Sin was oozing out. And that's why God gave them that illness or that, that, um, that issue in their body. Well, that wasn't the case, but that is what they heard. They thought that they were big sinners. Well, Jesus looked at this man who was dangling from the rooftop because of the faith of his friends. And he looked at him and he asked a question. He said in Luke 5, 23, he said this, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Well, okay, it's obviously easier just to say some words, right? We, any of us can say some words, but in order to back them up, Jesus was gonna say these powerful words about forgiveness. And then he was gonna give them proof of his authority to say him, them, that he wasn't just saying words, that he meant them, that he could fulfill them, that he was going to see them through. It was something no ordinary person could do. And in Luke 5, 23 and 24, he goes on, but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Now, in only three short years, Jesus was going to get on the cross and he was going to say some words of forgiveness to you and I. He was going to say, Father, forgive them. He was going to take all of our sin upon himself to forgive us. And then three days later, he was going to walk out of the empty tomb to show us that he had the power and the authority to make it so. Mm. In Luke 5, 25, the man who could not walk, he got up. He stood in front of them and the crowd must have gone bananas. It says immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. You know, Jesus knows that sin is something that can paralyze us. It paralyzes us from the life that God intends for us to have. Our sin, when it is left unchecked, when we just give into it and we think that it is hidden like a septic tank that nobody can see, it is causing brokenness and hurt in our relationships, our relationship with our creator and our relationship with one another. And when that, that sin impedes our progress to, to reach the plans and the purpose that God has for our life, and only forgiveness is what can will allow us to be free. Only one with the authority from God to forgive us can make a difference and heal that brokenness that sin causes. You see, that day they tore a hole in the roof to get their friend down to Jesus. But you see, our sin has torn a hole, a chasm between us and God that only Jesus can heal. It is only the work of him on the cross and, and the power of the resurrection that can heal that chasm, that hole, so that we can walk free. Jesus tells that man to pick up his mat and go home. And that is what Jesus tells each one of us today. Because of what I did on the cross, because of what I did on the cross for you, I took your stinky, smelly sin and I paid for it with my life. And I walked out of that grave after dying so that you could be free. You could be forgiven. You could be healed. 
And I wanted to prove as I walked out of that grave that I have more power than that sin has on you. And Jesus says, hey, when you trust me, when you follow me, when you obey me, your sin does not have to define you anymore. Your sin is not who defines you. Jesus gets to be the one who who defines you that says you're forgiven, you're healed, walk free. Jesus is the one that defines us. You see, the place that people can see on the outside, all those is, is flawed. We're all flawed. And the places that are deep and buried inside of us that you think no one else can see, well, those are also flawed. But Jesus says, if you bring all of that to me, I can and I want to heal you. Here's what I'm going to do for you. He says, I will tell you to pick up your stinking mat and that you've been stuck to and walk free. You see that mat that used to carry you? Oh, that mat that used to carry you, now you get to carry it because I have given you strength where you are weak. Mm. And when we have all those memories of the brokenness and the pain that has been caused, we can also remember the strength that Jesus has given us to walk forward. Luke 5, 26 wraps up the story, says everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. See, when we walk in the strength that Jesus gives us, he gives us that strength to move forward every single day. Now, I don't know what strength from Jesus you need today. I don't know what past mistakes you've made this past week, maybe even today, where there has been some brokenness that has been caused because of our sin nature, because of the things that we've done, where we've missed the mark, we've screwed up in our relationships and our words and in in our actions. But I do know that whenever we come to Jesus and we offer ourselves to him and we say, Lord, please forgive me, Please help me. Please set me right. Give me your strength. He absolutely will. He can bring that transformation. He can bring that healing. And he always gives us strength to face a brand new tomorrow. Oh, Jesus, I pray for each person, Lord, today. I pray that in the midst of our places of weakness and brokenness, that you would be strong. I pray, Jesus, for each of us that have a rebel's heart that wants to rebel against you. Oh, Jesus, would you help us to find joy in obedience to you? Would you help us find joy in the ways that you are transforming us? Would you help us to walk and have your heart and your thoughts? And would you help us to walk in your power, your strength when we are weak? We love you, Jesus, and we bless your holy and mighty name. And all God's people prayed and said, amen.